You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Okay, who is following The Bachelor? Because I am not, but a little later on in the week, we are actually going to be talking about all the controversy surrounding The Bachelor and one of the three final contestants who is awaiting till marriage to have sex and basically the challenges that she's facing on the show and both her own discomfort and the discomfort of the culture and the fact that she's still a virgin. I mean, how shocking. So stay tuned because we'll be talking about that later on this week in the show. In the meantime, we are talking about this idea. Have you ever heard someone say, I could never be a Catholic. I would be a terrible Catholic. I would be a bad Catholic. Or maybe you know someone who is what they call a recovering Catholic, or they themselves might just say, I'm a bad Catholic, or I was a bad Catholic. I was a terrible Catholic. And they kind of use that almost as an excuse. Well, we're going to be talking about this with Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending. For those who don't know Father Tim, he's a regular here with us talking about everything from pop culture to biblical theology and the faith. So Father Tim from Los Angeles, the Diocese of Los Angeles. Just another one of those bad Catholics that's found his way into the church and always love to come and share about Well, isn't that a great, I think, example of what you said? Like all of us, I think at some point have been a bad Catholic. And I was talking to a friend the other day, Father Tim, and she was talking about how one of her friends whose husband is Catholic, but the wife never converted, said, I could never convert. She said, I would be a bad Catholic. And when I heard her say that, I think about how many people... You know, two different perspectives. One, I think some people use it as an excuse, but more so what I want to talk about is how people, I think, sometimes feel inferior. Like, I could never be a Catholic. I could never meet all of those precepts and rules. I couldn't do it. I would be bad at it. Well, one of the biggest things that's always kept me close to the church is the reality that the church is the place for the people who don't have it figured out. Right. And if there's no place for people who don't have it figured out in the church, then it's not really a church. And how many people are afraid to come to church, you know, just on Sundays, but let alone to make their life about the church because they, you know, oh, no, no, if I stepped into the building, like lightning would strike. And, you know, you know, God doesn't want me in his house. I mean, that's precisely the person that God wants in his house. Yeah. yeah. And I think that sometimes we get it wrong when we think that it's about doing everything perfectly. And I think that that's sometimes the problem is that when we think that everything has to be done just exactly perfectly, right? We go, well, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I think that that's the whole point of Christianity. Apart from me, let's see, Jesus Christ said, you can do nothing. And so that's where we start to take the baby steps to follow in the path of Christ. I mean, that's why we're entering into this Lenten season, you know, prepare the way. Let's follow even the stations of the cross, for example, that we walk those stations with Christ, not alone. Yeah, that comes also from one of my favorite spiritual writers right now, Father Jacques Philippe, Mm. who points to that battle for perfection, that it's a it's the the enemy's own battleground. 
The devil wants us to fight in that expectation we place on ourselves to be perfect rather than God's expectation that, you know, he gives us the sacrament of confession because he knows that we're not going to be perfect right here and right now, that it is a journey that takes some time and some steps backward. But, you know, when we take 10 steps forward, one step backward doesn't mean 11 steps backwards, but we know how to get back to that place. And well, Jesus knows how to get us back to that place that we started from. And so this constant expectation that we place on ourselves of perfection, that maybe God himself isn't even placing on us, that's the devil's own battleground. And we have to be very careful, especially as we're getting ready to enter into Lent and we're striving for that perfection, but to know that we're not starting Lent with it all figured out and perfect. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You are listening to Trending with Tim Ray. And by the way, if you didn't catch the episode this past week, it's only available on the podcast. I promised my husband I wouldn't put it on the radio. Uh, there's an episode that my husband and I actually recorded together. We're talking about marriage, being Catholic, uh, people who are maybe burnt out on the Catholic religion. So be sure to go and check out that episode. Head over to radiotrending.com and subscribe so that you get the episodes that are only available on the podcast if you're normally a radio listener. Father Tim, you mentioned mercy a second ago with this theme of, quote, I would be a bad Catholic. And you were talking about how God gave us the sacrament of confession, reconciliation for a reason. And this is what's so neat. Sometimes people think, well, I could never be that perfect ideology. Well, Catholicism isn't an ideology. It is a way of life. And it's not just a way of life. It is the greatest love story any of us have entered into and it has to do with a person, the person of Christ, and his mercy is so great. He recognized that we weren't going to be the most faithful spouse to him always, and that he was going to have to give us something to help fortify us for the journey so that we could be made one with him, so that we could eventually meet the great expectations he had for us. And the expectations are there not just to please him, but for our own goodness. Yeah, and he knows the goodness that's in our hearts better than we do, which has really struck me these last two weekends where our Sunday readings have been about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. And he's claiming his authority, not just as the Messiah who brings the new law, but as God himself. He is the one that says, I say to you, not now God says to you, but I say to you. And he's calling us to this new almost rigor against adultery to look at a person with our eyes and with our heart and to know that person has such dignity and that our, our lustful looks at them tear down that dignity in our own hearts and theirs. He calls us to not retaliate against those, to offer no resistance against those who do evil, to love our enemies. And it's like, this stuff is so impossible. You know, there are going to be moments in our lives where we were asked to love people who it's, it's impossible to love and forgive people who have done things that are almost unforgivable to us. But Jesus knows our hearts better than we do and is calling us to this great love. You know, we're looking to these ideal saints. And, you know, it's one of the favorite things for me to celebrate quinceaneras at the parish is when the the young woman who, you know, turns 15 and is celebrating uh, kind of her, you know, transition into womanhood and living like the Virgin Mary. There's so many prayers of to live like the Virgin Mary, but how crushing that can be if we misunderstand what it means to look to the saints and especially to look to Mary as if she's this impossible ideal that we'll never reach. But all of the feast days we celebrate of Mary, you know, the, the Annunciation, the Assumption, uh, the Immaculate Conception, all point to Mary being the promise that as she is, so shall we be. And so we look to these saints, not expecting ourselves to reach some impossible ideal right now, 
but to know that they've lived our lives and that Mary's immaculate conception is not something impossible, but it's the promise of who we will be uh, eventually when saints. And so to hear these gospels and Jesus calling to this, all us, calling us to this impossible love from our perspective, it's like, well, he knows better than we do what we're capable of and invites us into that. But isn't that so hard for us to remember? He really does know better, you yeah. guys. I mean, we're like those, you know, petulant children who never wants to trust trust the parents' rule, yet the rule is there. And years later, when you're an adult, you go, actually, I really appreciate that the rule was there. Or in some cases today, we have a lot of young people who are growing up and saying, I wish I had more rules. I wish that my parents cared more. I wish my parents were more involved and aware. And so when we come back to this topic of, quote, I would be a bad Catholic, I think something that all of us can do for ourselves and for others is to really point to the stories, the incredible stories of the saints, because I think that our culture kind of makes fun of saints in the sense that like, oh, what do you think you're a saint? Like, what do you think you're perfect? Well, actually, I think that people just look at the saints and think they live these perfect, easy prayerful lives like they were born saints just like some people say oh you know that person was born a nun i'll never forget um there's a nun i know who she was doing work in a um, very very poor area near some of the prison systems and she was working on the streets feeding some of the poor and she would go out she was so courageous she would go by herself out in new jersey and it was so interesting because she said one day someone's behind her and it was getting dark she shouldn't have been out this late and the person behind her says hey Hey, hey, you. And she's kind of trying to ignore it because, you know, it's a man. She's by herself. And she hears him go, hey, hey, you stop there. And she finally goes, "Okay, Lord, like, please just protect me. And she turns around and the man comes walking up to her. And what gang is it where, like, if they have the teardrop tattoos, it shows how many people they've killed. But he had a couple of those teardrop tattoos near his eye. And she's going, oh, my gosh. And she's just sitting here going, like, Lord, strengthen me. And he goes, are you a nun? And she said, yes. He he goes, a real nun. She said, yes. And he goes, are your parents nuns, too? And she goes, no. And she just loses it laughing. Like it completely, you know, de-escalated the situation. She had a great conversation with this guy. But I bring that story up because sometimes I think that a lot of us think like that person was just born perfect and I can't get there. But that's not the story of the saints. I think of St. Augustine, for example. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. My brother, actually, you know, the the, the parish that I'm at is St. Augustine's. I grew up at St. Monica's, so I've always felt like he was a brother. And, uh, and there's yeah, there's so many stories of the saints like that. One of my favorite to share with young people when I'm trying to you know remind them that the saints weren't perfect in this world. It's a matter of being perfect in the next is uh, of Bartolo Longo, who I think he's beatified, but not quite a saint yet, but he will be you know, in the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. He was a satanic priest. Ooh. Yes, and had a conversion experience and is now going to be a Catholic saint. And so if God can work with a satanic priest and bring him to the sainthood, then I think he can work with you. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing to look at the saints' stories and, and see how far they come in this life. And that what's important is being transformed now, but knowing that no matter what our past holds, that God can work with that. And I challenge you for your own sake and for the sake of others, you know, being tactful in conversations when people say, oh, I would be a bad Catholic. Know the story of St. Mary Magdalene, of St. Sister Clara Crockett, of St. Paul, of St. Peter, of St. Augustine. Be ready to share the gospel of the saints. 
Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I'm sitting here wondering why screwdrivers in front of me on our desk, and that's because we've been trying to play this balancing act in studio. Father Tim Grumbach is here with me from St. Augustine Parish in LA, and we have all of these live feed cameras in the studio. I think we've got like one, two, three, four, five, six cameras in front of us right now. I, I think three or four of them are operating, and it's just like trying to put our face on the camera. So if you want to see what we look like, if you want to get to know us more, maybe even join us on the live feed. We actually do record live on Tuesdays so you can head over to radiotrending.com where you can link to both Father Tim and my own social media pages to check out the videos and see us in our studio so that's the story of the screwdriver um, so we actually are going to be talking about something Father Tim that you and I touched on last time we we're talking a lot about sexually transmitted diseases and you and I realized that something we've not covered before is that we are living in a culture right now where sexually transmitted diseases are so common, some of which are treatable, but some of, some of which are not curable, not treatable, and you will have for life. Some causing permanent infertility. Some, you know, we can infect others. We could go on and on. Uh, and we'll be talking about more of the consequences here. But we want to talk about being better at both helping those who, who have maybe been infected with an STD, knowing what to do moving forward, or maybe that's you. Maybe you lived a past life that you regret, that you're trying to get over, that you were seeking God's mercy for, but you don't really understand fully where you fit into both the church, maybe future family life, and having children. So we're here to talk about that. Yeah, and we're even here to talk about uh, more than just if you regret your past, but if this is something that's happened to you in a way, maybe by some kind of accident and you know, you were wounded by someone and this is a part of the repercussions of that is, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was a choice that you made or something that you, you kind of fell into in your life, that there has to be a place for you in the church. You know, this is flowing from that reality that the church has to be the place for those who don't have it figured out. And this is a part of our community that we don't really speak about in a, yeah. in a public way, at least not that I've experienced. And, you know, there are, you know, private conversations that happen and, and people who come seeking spiritual healing uh, who are experiencing this. And yet I almost never hear it spoken about in a public way in the church. Right. You know, certainly not in homilies, you know, that might not always be the appropriate place for something like that. But we need to be preaching about uh, this this welcome and this invitation to people who um, this is going to change the way that they're able to love and to be intimate and to be close to people. And that's a woundedness that needs to be brought into the church because the church has to be a place of healing for that. And I want to start by if maybe this is something that you are experiencing or maybe you have a dear friend who experiences this. I think that we don't know how to talk about this. So if maybe someone's been really insensitive to you or maybe you've been insensitive to a friend who has approached you with this, because I know this is something we see a lot in the crisis pregnancy centers in front of the abortion clinic. If you've ever sidewalk counseling, there are a lot of 
very, very broken young people. And I mean, we're seeing Planned Parenthood, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, really normalizing STDs as, hey, everyone's got them. It's no big deal. Uh, and they're saying that now for teenagers. And that's what's really a bummer. And if we look at the statistics, we did a show last year with Pam Stenzel talking about STDs. And one of the things we discussed is that although less teens are having sex, those teens who are having sex, most of them are actually infected with an STD. So although there's good news, there's also just this rampant sexual culture where things have gone wrong. And so I kind of have a little bit of a battle plan in my mind for addressing this, for, both for ourselves, if you are someone who has experienced this, or for helping friends. And I think first and foremost, uh, recognizing that this is the grace of the church, that whether it's something that happened to you, that something went wrong, or something that you were aware of and participated in, reconciliation is always available to you and you know reconciliation with yourself the gift of confession and bringing that before our lord right and to not be afraid to come to confession if you're just you feel still attached a little bit to that part of your past yeah. to to know that you don't have to be perfectly detached from a sin to come to confession part of confession is to work on our hearts to detach us from those sins. And so if you feel like, well, I'm not completely sorry for that. No, come and talk to us and let's prepare our hearts even within the sacrament itself, because God doesn't expect us to have our sins perfectly figured out by the time we come to confession, but that becomes part of the journey. Right. And so what you were saying about the way that it's almost being normalized as well, and how you know people might be convinced by looking at how normalized it is, well, that's not something I need to take to confession. That there's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfect just the way I am, right. even if there's something different about me. And I was actually just out on the road this morning, uh, riding my bike around in, in Culver City in, in Los Angeles, and there's a gigantic billboard about you know free screenings for STDs, which is a good thing that they're they're reaching out to people to help them at least be aware so they know how to move forward. But the image on the billboard was this, you know, the lower half of a woman's body, a very short skirt, and she was just kind of holding her hands there, kind of protecting herself, I guess you could say. But it was a very provocative image. Yeah. And I thought how strange it is that they're putting something provocative up there maybe to begin the healing process. And I don't know how healing something like that can be to make something as, as wounding as experiencing an STD, something so provocative on a billboard for everybody to see. Yeah, they're trying to normalize it as a part of the culture. The mm -hmm. sexual intimacy is totally fine. Do with it whatever you want, but at least make sure you're screened. I and mean, this is kind of the idea that they have behind consent where they say, you know, consent is so important because people do have STDs. So as long as someone else says yes, and just the whole attitude and the advertisement is somewhat twisted, and instead of focusing on healing, it's contributing to brokenness. And so that's why I want to dive through these five things. We talked about confession. The second one is that no matter what you've experienced, and it doesn't have to be that you've experienced an STD, it could be anything, you're made for communion. And this is, again, coming back to the gift of the church. You are made for God and you do have a future and you have a future in the community. And that communion that you're ultimately made for is that union with Christ and his church. And that through the grace of the sacraments of reconciliation and through the grace of the sacraments of the Eucharist, you are made to be with Christ and you do have a future. And if only we could focus on Christ as our future first, as Christ, as our source of communion with others, that healing process will take be, will be taken care of no matter what has happened to you. Mm -hmm. Yes, and the the beautiful and ancient wisdom of Scripture and the Church's 
perennial teaching of God creating man, male and female. He created them in the image of God. He created them. And having that beautiful language, which, you know, so many people hear as a great no uh, to sexuality, a, a great no, and that's all they understand chastity to be, right. that, um, that there's such a wisdom, a deep wisdom in that teaching. And when the culture loses the language of being able to speak that way, it's not going to really have any kind of language to speak about sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Father Tim Grumbach. We're talking about life after an STD, but it could even, I mean, take this and apply it to life after any type of grave sin we may have experienced in our culture. So we talked about confession, communion, and I want to dive into the fact that there is always a place for you in the church. The church is your home. And if you haven't found that coming home when you come into the church, I challenge you to continue to reach out and seek those relationships and people who will welcome you. Because I know sometimes we fail to be welcoming. We can be cliquish. We can be bad at making time for others. But the church is your home. And remember, the church is the inheritance of the saints, the church, the teachings of the church, all of the sacraments. There is a relationship and communion there in the church. Yeah. And we want you to know that if you're experiencing this, yes, there is a place in the church. But we also want to speak to those who maybe have never thought about this, never you know, talked to anybody who's experiencing this before. And it's so not on our radar, perhaps, that we don't know that there are people that we need to reach out to. Because, yes, you know. You know, we shouldn't demand of them to tell our stories. It, it is a very private experience for them. And so, you know, and you don't you know, have to tell your story. Right. You don't have to tell your story, but we should at least be aware that there are going to be people in, in the church experiencing STDs, but also so many different other experiences of woundedness in life. And we couldn't yeah. name it. We could, you know, yeah. post-abortive, yeah. you know, having maybe been divorced and remarried yeah. at some point. I mean, we could go on and on of things that need to be healed. Right. And these people... <laughs> Well, us, <laughs> we are coming into the church. We all have something like this and people don't know this part of our story. And it's even more isolating to come into the church and to know there's something I feel like I have to hide from the church community because this will single me out uh, as somebody who doesn't really belong here. And that's the lie of the devil trying to find its way into the church. And, you know, I am not going to pretend to tell anyone's stories or to share you know, uh, anyone's story who may have you know, confided anything in me. But what I'm learning with everyone's brokenness is that there are people who come into the church and feel so alone and we're not looking for the people who are alone. We might be looking for the people we, we know well, the people we're comfortable with. You know, I remember talking to somebody, you know, th- you know, this was not her experience, but just in her story, she came in and just wanted to meet with me as the priest at the parish um, so that I could know her. You know, not this, you know, selfish, like I want to be known and, and I want to be affirmed, but she would come into church and nobody would say hi to her. And she felt like she was alone in the middle of a thriving community. And maybe that's partly her fault. A lot of it is my fault. I know, I know, you know, we're all you know, at fault here for the, the way that we experience church in a sense because of our sinfulness. But it just so struck me that there are people in the pews whom we don't know their story. Yeah. And we don't go to find out and they have to make an appointment just so they can, you know, feel like they're known in the parish. And I, that's, you know, so people experiencing STDs in our pews, in our parishes, I think are coming in with that experience of the church is, you know, know, this affects the way that I'm able to love and be intimate and, and have a relationship and nobody else in this church knows about it. And that's a a difficult thing for them to come into the pews with. And I might add this one remedy that all of us can work on 
And that is smile. Smile at people. Be genuine. Have a positive look towards someone. Because when someone smiles at you, it's warm, it's welcoming, even if you don't even have a conversation. We're going to come back in just a bit, and we're going to talk more about this kind of five-point battle plan I put together for addressing life after an STD. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. So we've been having this conversation, and I can tell you, I have had so many experiences with loved ones who have found out that they now have a sexually transmitted disease. Um, with even strangers when I've worked in sidewalk counseling in the crisis pregnancy centers. So many young men and specifically women because women are more impacted by STDs. We've talked about that on the show before, but it's women who show more signs. It's women who have more symptoms and it is women predominantly who lose and whose fertility is significantly impacted. And so we need to be better at communicating on this issue. And so I put together this five points, so kind of my five C's to address the STDs. And we talked about it earlier. If you weren't listening, please go back and listen. You can catch the episode at radiotrending.com. We talked about confession, communion. We talked about church. And now I want to talk about chastity. Father Tim Grumbach of St. Augustine Parish is here with me. Uh, and chastity is really the path. And we talked a little bit about it earlier. And Father Tim was saying how a lot of people think, you know, chastity is just like that big no to sexuality. But chastity is a yes to your vocation. But it's a yes to your state in life. Myself as a married person, exclusive intimacy with my spouse, and no extramarital affairs, no pornography, no masturbation. I, I can spell it all out. Father Tim Grumbach as a priest, you know, taking that vow to celibacy. Mm-hmm. And we could go on about single life. I dated my husband for much longer than I would have liked before we got married, but we still weren't able to have sex no matter how long we were together. Yeah, and to understand celibacy and chastity in, in a more general term, as less, you know, not so much a, a great no, but even more than that, you know, the yes to our human sexuality as a gift and not just having received a gift of sexuality, but sexuality is something that makes a gift of us. And the church is beautiful teaching that, you know, this chastity, this, this growing and being able to say no to certain things for a greater yes is the school of self gift and the school of self mastery is the language that the catechism mm-hmm. uses and that it's it's something we were created for and i can tell you you know celibacy not easy but it makes saints and it's a charism so it's not just this great i'm gonna you know um, tighten my knuckles and grind through this life and say no to everything that uh, that might rise up passion in me but rather you know one of my favorite images that was used in the seminary was it's not about going cold and putting the fire out but it's about letting the fire of our love be be so hot and so purified that we're able to love in the way that Christ loved in his own celibacy. And so it's such a beautiful thing to be able to speak of chastity and the gift that God has given to the church by calling priests to celibacy and married couples to a a holy chastity that is a saint-making machine. 
Well, and I look at the topic of chastity and, you know, Father Tim Grumbach, you know, is here. Michael Gasparro is a guest here. And I point to both of these people because Father Tim, you know, living the path of celibacy. Um, father, or sorry, Father Michael Gasparro, who has experienced the same-sex attraction in his past and has chosen to live according to the church's teaching. And all of us in our states in life will say that has chastity been hard? Absolutely. But it is a is it a path of joy? One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Well, when I preach to couples who are getting married, what I love to say is that, you know, sometimes we'll use the language of ball and chain to speak of a marriage, <laughs> you know, something that's got you stuck and you just you can't go anywhere. But I prefer to point out the image of the cross, you know, yeah. which kills you, you know, <laughs> which is way different than getting stuck. But we can look to the cross and, and, and <laughs> so morbid. Yeah. the morbid but, Catholic thing. I know Isn't Catholicism is so great, but also that we have the beautiful language that comes from humana vitae, that, yeah. that married love is, is called to be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. And that language is enshrined in the liturgy in the questions of consent that I ask to a married couple during the wedding itself. You know, do you give yourself, you know, um, without coercion? and wholeheartedly, you know, do you intend to, to love your spouse for your whole life? And pretty much, do you give God permission to bring life into this world through you and, and through your love to make your love fruitful? And so every one of those is, you know, it's free, it's total, it's faithful and it's fruitful, but it's also, that's the love of the cross that, you know, Jesus did it freely being the son of God. He could have found any other way. God could have maybe snapped his fingers and gotten rid of our sins, but he, he freely chose to go to the cross to enter right into the depth of sin and death and to pull life out the other side. It was total. You can't look at the cross and say Jesus left anything back, held anything back. It's faithful because is there anything more faithful that God has ever done in history than to enter into death that way? And it's fruitful because here we are as a church. The church would not have existed if the cross was not fruitful. It would have just been the end of a Jesus movement and we would not be here 2000 years later, you know, with a crucifix up in front of us. And especially during weddings, being able to point to that as the source of chastity and married love. And I will say that is even possible. This is gift of chastity is even possible if you are living with an STD. If you are single and you're single way longer than you ever wish you were, if for some reason, maybe you did experience a divorce and your marriage has not been annulled and you are heroically staying faithful to the vows you took at your wedding. And these are just some of the many examples of incredible fidelity and chastity. And we could go on and on, but there is a path for you, but it is challenging, but it is full of joy. And so I want to hit on that fifth one. And it kind of gets into some of the more practical elements of living life after having experienced an STD. And that is communication, because the reality is, is that when we sin, we sin uh, and that sin affects other people. And so when we look at the consequences moving forward, whether it's the possibility of infecting other people with the STD, including the children you might conceive. And so things such as communication before with your partner, before getting married, God willing, which is when should be the next time you have sex. These means of communication, there will be people who are willing to go there, who are willing to love you. It will be a difficult 
difficult path, but it is there. And as for having children, it depends on the sexually transmitted disease. Some people have scarring in their fallopian tubes um, that will make it difficult or next to impossible to even conceive a child down the road. But if you are able to conceive, and many, many people are, this is why it's so important to know that you have an STD so that a C-section can be done. Because in the case where a child is born vaginally through a vaginal birth, that baby can contract the STD while coming through the birth canal. But in a C-section, you can protect that precious newborn baby uh, from being exposed to the STD. Yeah, and it's a matter of humble communication. As with any confession we might enter into, you know, it becomes a place where our desire to be impressive goes to die. That's what I love to say about confession. But that also can happen in any regular conversation that we have with one another as Christians, as Catholics, that our church has got to be a place where this kind of communication can happen. It, you know, it doesn't have to happen like the stories told of the early church and confession where you got up in front of everybody and, and shared your sins because, well, you know, sins were a very communal thing that people knew how it affected the whole community. So you would get up there and you know confess yourself before everyone. And it has become such a private thing, and beautifully so. We need to be able to have that privacy to, to bear our souls before the Lord. And yet, we've got to be able to find you know brothers and sisters in the faith that you know, if this is something that you're experiencing, that you, ha- you have somebody that you can talk to about this so that, you know, you may not share it with the whole community, but you know the church is a place where somebody is walking with you in that humble communication and that, that honesty and that courage that it takes. Because I know as a confessor how difficult it is for people to let this stuff come up in their hearts and then let alone just to say it out loud, yeah. sometimes to somebody they don't even know or somebody they do know. And so it takes a lot of courage um, for people experiencing this to love. And we uh, who are not experiencing this have to recognize that and know that there are people sitting right next to us who feel isolated because of something they can't share in the church. And to just, you know, not not to demand their story again, uh, demand them to communicate these things, but to make the church a, a place where the communication can happen. We have to remember too with our own woundedness, whatever it might be, again, we might not even be talking about a sexually transmitted disease in the future after that, but whatever that might be, you know, sometimes there are the right people to communicate and share things with, and sometimes there are the wrong people. And there are some people who are going to have more respect and love for different parts of the story. And so being, you know, aware of who you're sharing certain things with just to protect your own heart. And I'm not saying that we want to support, you know, a culture of secrecy. Um, but I do think that it's important that we surround ourselves who are going to be supportive and positive and help support a path of healing rather than maybe judgmental and gossipy and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so one other thing I do want to comment on with regard to the issue of sexually transmitted diseases to be aware of. Some people will think, well, I should never have a child. Well, maybe you're already pregnant or maybe you know someone who is pregnant and also has a sexually transmitted disease. And maybe you're thinking maybe abortion is the best option. But let me tell you, that is not the best option for a woman who has an STD. And here's why. Because If that abortion occurs and she has an STD, when those instruments are used that enter into her female body parts, that literally drags the STD further up her reproductive tract, increasing the exposure to the STD, spreading it, and making the symptoms and the long-term impact far worse. And again, not only that, there's always the option of a C-section for someone who's had a sexually transmitted disease. Yeah, since we're always trying to you know, bring each other into a place of healing, 
And, you know, we've seen some moments in the gospel as well, where people seek healing elsewhere than Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the woman who had hemorrhaged for 12 years, it says that she went to doctors and not only did they not make her better, they made her worse. And there's a tremendous spiritual lesson to, you know, ancient Israel, you know, looking out for other gods and, and not only did it not bring them salvation, it, it enslaved them even more. But there's also the, the very physical reality of that healing that that woman received was, you know, looking for a place other than Jesus as a, a place of healing. And so to be looking at, at, a, at a place like abortion for the sake of healing in, in a case like this, um, let's lift up the, the, the courage and the honesty and the fear and trembling of this woman who came to Jesus, knowing that she, he was the only one that was going to bring this authentic and full healing. And so, you know, this isn't saying, you know, just pray for a miracle, don't go to doctors. But this is saying, let's, um, let's, let's let Jesus be the first one who reaches into our lives. And then, you know, that's where authentic healing will be found. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We get so excited when it is time for Lent sometimes because we think like this is the time to make changes in my life. But the problem is sometimes we think of Lent as those 40 days out of the whole year where we're going to get great self-help, self-improvement and lose some weight, get some better sleep and eat better. That's not what Lent is about. And I'm going to use that word self-improvement because I know Father Tim Grumbach is here with me and I know you cannot stand those two words. Right. Like becoming the best version of myself, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a, yeah. God wants to make us into saints during Lent. Yes. And that, that is the best version of ourselves, <laughs> but we might have an image of ourselves that, you know, I want to look this way by the end of Lent. I want to lose so many pounds. I, I want, you know, um, I want my fasting to, to give me a six pack or something like that. <laughs> and like, I want to look like this by the end of Lent. Uh, but it's not us that we're supposed to look like at the end of Lent. It's Jesus. Yeah. And so you, you may want your abs and God can work with that. You know, <laughs> he, he will purify your desires during Lent though. And more important than uh, having the body, your body look the way that you want at the end of Lent is, you know, do you have pierced hands and a hole in your side like Jesus resurrected from the dead? And having experienced the, the the death of the cross and the healing of the resurrection, but keeping his wounds. And so what kind of wounds are we going to hold? What kind of weaknesses are we still going to share by the end of Lent? So that, you know, as St. Augustine said of, of the resurrection, the wounds that the martyrs bear, they'll still have them in the resurrection because not, those are not blemishes. Those are not signs of weakness. Those are signs of virtue. And so what kind of wounds are we going to have at the end of Lent? so that we don't look like what we want to look like, but we look like Jesus. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. When we look at the great tradition of the church in Lent, Lent has always been understood as a time of penance, not a time of self-improvement, not a time of weight loss, a true time of penance to make reparation for the sins that we have committed. And I think sometimes we fail to do this as Catholics. We go to church and we make our confession and, you know, we do our penance, but then we forget that actually we are going to have to face purgatory time for the sins that we have committed, for the things we have done here on earth. And in fact, if we continue to justify things and we keep ourselves away from the sacraments, 
we will bring ourselves further and further away from God, either a lot of purgatory time or potentially putting ourselves in hell. And we do that to ourselves. And so this is why conversion is so important when we talk about Lent. But I think when we talk about conversion, again, we reduce things to self-improvement rather than a time of penance. Right. And to just stop actions that are bad for us mm-hmm. when you know every day of the year is a day to, to stop the actions that are bad for us. And so the penances that we're called to at Lent, you know, the suffering that we might be able to enter into is not so much about stopping bad things. Like discernment is between two goods rather than between good and bad. You know, we should, shouldn't have to go into the full discernment process to uh, decide between good and bad, right? Um, that you, know, you can give up something that's legitimately good for you and pleasurable for you, but which isn't necessarily bad. And that becomes a little sacrifice so that when you have this opportunity to enter into this good thing, you sacrifice it and then make it a prayer for someone. Mm-hmm. You know, we were laughing a little bit yesterday talking about how some people will say, well, instead of fasting from something, I'll, I'll take something on or I'll fast from being mean. I'll fast from gossiping. I'm like, well, that's called repentance and that should be happening every day. Yeah. Let's let's try it's doing the yeah. right thing. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's try fasting from you know like food, you know like this <laughs> for twenty four hours, right? For 48 yeah, hours. So, so the the ancient tradition of the church, and some of us are more capable of doing it than others, and we you know we will all find our roadblocks in in fasting. But you know there, there's a, a tremendous wisdom in the ancient traditions of the church of fasting from food, adding prayer to our daily lives, and almsgiving from our material possessions to those who are in great material need. Mm-hmm. And so we don't need to overly spiritualize these Lenten practices so that it becomes just a, you know, I'm going to just tra- change my attitude during Lent. But, you know, these things are, are meant to be felt physically, you know, fasting, right? It's not just about becoming stronger, like, oh, now I know I can go 24 hours without eating. I'm going to be strong. It's like, no, you're supposed to enter into a weakness, you know, a hunger that makes you weak, that makes you tired, that makes you, well, hopefully not bitter, mm-hmm. but humble. And so these are meant to be transformative practices that come from the ancient tradition of the church. We don't need to overly spiritualize something that is meant to change us physically, yes, because we are body and soul and our Lenten practices are meant to affect both. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the Lenten practices, the church calls us to three things. And in fact, the church really is challenging us to do all three things every single day. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. How do we meet those three um, invitations that the church draws us into? And so I think that first and foremost, I look at prayer and I think, okay, that's going to take time. So how am I going to make time every single day to do additional prayer. Maybe it's daily mass. Maybe it's a daily rosary. Maybe I am, and maybe this is where you're at. Maybe I do just need to try and make sure I'm at least doing the bare minimum of like morning and night prayer. And if that's where you're at, that's great. But try to push yourself beyond doing what you should already be doing. You know, make maybe a reparation, an hour reparation each week, one hour in adoration to make up for the fact that I have been a sinful, unprayerful individual. You know, like these are things we can do. You know, you don't want to stay in adoration, stay an extra five minutes. Yeah. And I I won't share what it is that I'm entering into with Lent, but I brought it all to my spiritual director yesterday. And and it was like this long list of like the Exodus 90 stuff, you know, so like consider like, you know, cold showers and not (laughs) eating between meals and 
and no you desserts. Mean grain and, freezes? R- right, right. Yeah, yeah, I know, especially you know, this early in the year. But I mean, we're in LA. How, how, how can we really complain? Come well, on, this I am, you, know, you told yeah. me you had brain freeze yeah. last year from the Well, yeah, showers. yeah. When you can see your breath in in the shower, it's 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 cold. And so I brought this long list of really difficult things. And he's like, so you're going to do all of that? Huh? <laughs> my, my spiritual director is this, this beautiful Jesuit priest. And um, he's just got this really beautiful connection to the love of God. And I bring all this stuff that like, I want to suffer during Lent. And he's like, yeah, but how's that going to help you grow in friendship with God and with his poor? I want you to choose three things, no more than three of those things in holy obedience and focus on how those will help you grow in friendship. Not how they will make you tougher, not how they will make you suffer, but how they will help you grow in friendship with the Lord and with the poor who are right in front of you at your parish. I'm like, oh man, you got me. You get me every time. Mm-hmm. And so let's consider that in our Lenten practices, our disciplines is not, you know, yes, there's going to be some suffering that happens uh, when we enter into these sacrifices, but suffering is not the goal. Growing in, growing in love and growing in friendship and that suffering, that sacrifice is the tool and the instrument to lead us there. Well, and I love what you just said because you're such a man. Like, I want to be more yeah, right, tough yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to see how tough I can make myself. Like, you remind me of my husband in that sense. Like, he's like, Lent is going to be so yeah. hard. It's and not I'm a bad thing. Forward to it. And I think that's yeah. awesome. Like, you guys are ready to go to war. Mm-hmm. But I know all of us in our own way have our own distractions where we try to do too much. We try to be too tough. We try to see how long we can meet that fast. You know, how well we can fast on Wednesdays. I remember in college, I was awful. We waited until midnight and then went to In-N-Out at the end of Ash Wednesday. I mean, I've been there. Trust me, if that's you, I get it. Maybe you're waiting for the cookies at the end of Fridays during Lent. But we've got to make the plan. And we've got to, again, that prayer requires setting aside the time. The fasting, the whole purpose of our fasting is to be like Christ. The catechism talks about having this sense of self-abasement and repentance in our fasting, that the fasting is supposed to be an act that where we're offering up the sins that we have committed, the sins of our culture, the sins of the flesh. You know, Our Lady of Fatima and all of Our Lady's apparitions talks about the importance of fasting in today's culture for the sins of the flesh. Right. And another big word for me during this Lent is, is not just friendship, but also reception, receptivity. How do I receive prayer, fasting, and almsgiving rather than just do it and say, God, I'm giving this to you, but how, how do I receive it from you? You know, I was struck by this because yesterday's gospel reading was uh, Jesus coming down from the mountain of transfiguration and healing the boy with the, the mute, deaf and mute spirit. And his implication to the apostles of why they could not cast the spirit out was that they weren't praying. He said, oh, yes. oh, this kind can only be driven out by prayer. And it's this conviction that you guys are not praying. Yeah. And... What is prayer other than to receive something from God in his presence? You know, sometimes we'll, we'll think of our holy hour as, you know, this is something I've given to God, but forget that primarily it's something that God has given to us time to spend with him. And so to understand, you know, even the, the miraculous, you know, casting out of demons and the healing of the sick and the forgiveness of sins and the raising of the dead, is not something we do by ourselves. It's something we receive first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So I'm drawn to this idea that, you know, the prayer, fasting and almsgiving have to begin from a place of reception and receptivity. Prayer is something I receive from God. Fasting even is something that I receive from God is this, this detachment from the food that makes me comfortable 
And almsgiving is, well, you have to receive something before you can give it away. Mm -hmm. And so receptivity is at the heart of these Lenten disciplines rather than what can I do to change myself, but what can I receive that will change me? You know, you remind me, I'll never forget, um, a couple years ago, I had a household of guests and a couple of those guests were just being, or one of those guests was being really, really difficult. And so I was texting terribly a friend, um, a dear priest friend of mine complaining about the situation. And I was just so upset about what was going on. And, you know, for me, you know, this was a missionary project that I'd taken on and I just couldn't believe what was happening. And he texts me back, citing that scripture you just Mm. mentioned as, you know, right after the transfiguration, Jesus, Peter, James, and John are coming down from Mount Tabor and the other apostles are like, we can't cast out this demon. And he says that only prayer and fasting will help Mm -hmm. to cast out some demons. And this is what father texts me. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm thinking, am I the demon or is this person the demon? (laughs) And okay, father, I'm already annoyed, but you're calling me to fast too now, but we are. And you talk about receptivity, father, in that moment, I needed to just be willing to receive other people where they were at rather than where I wanted them to be. That's father Tim Grumbach. Father Tim, where can people find you on Instagram? On Instagram at father Tim Grumbach. It's that simple. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 